Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Well, bless the Lord. It's good to see you guys this morning. Had a uh, uh, tough game yesterday with my Broncos, but, you know, it's all right. We got two wins and one lesson. Yeah. That's what it is. How you choose to respond to adversity is going to be the difference in whether you're successful or whether you're not. So be encouraged. Our guys love the Lord. They're, they're going to respond. They're going to come out. And just for any of you doubters, we won a championship and got a ring last year with three losses. So one ain't going to do nothing. You know, it's, it's going to be all right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see you guys here. Before I forget, because I messed up, I, I, I uh, messed up first service. Today is my daughter, Micaiah's 15th birthday. And uh, yeah, so come on, give her a hand. She's back in the junior high and high school and they're praying for her. But I have a 15-year-old, amen. She thinks she can start driving now. I'm like, the devil is a liar. So um, bless the Lord, but we keep going. So I, I'm excited to be here. I want to do this real quick. I know we passed it. it. It was on Tuesday was the 17th anniversary of 911 and the tragedy that struck our nation. And as I was preparing to preach and going to preach about courage and, you know, we're in our future series and we're talking about living your life now from a future perspective in light of what God has already done for you. But I kind of thought about our, our firemen. What, what, what kind of courage does it take for somebody to run into a burning building, not for fame, not for fortune, because it's something that God has deposited in them. They're brave. Our policemen, we got a lot of policemen, the, the Martinez guys in here, Matt Bowie's in the back. And so uh, if you're a first responder, policeman, if you're a fireman, if you're an uh, EMT or an ambulance driver, whatever it is, could you just raise your hand? Right there. Come on, thank them, thank them. I know Randy, where's Randy Majors at? Randy's right there. He got to speak uh, last week. Was it last week? I was praying for him, got to speak. And so I just want to pray for you guys real quick because we appreciate you. Everybody's not built like that. Everybody doesn't have the capacity, but you go with courage and you go with bravery and you do it selflessly. And so we, we appreciate you. So join, join with me as we pray for them. Father God, again, we thank you that you're an awesome God and a faithful God. And we're grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to lift up these men and women to you who serve like you served, Heavenly Father. I pray Heavenly Father, that you would continue to strengthen them, that you would continue to anoint them, that you would keep them safe, God. Keep your hedge of protection around them, Heavenly Father, as they go and do a task that not everybody is capable of doing, Heavenly Father. We pray that you would keep them safe, but even more than that, as they serve with the heart of Jesus, Heavenly Father, I pray that the only thing that people receive from them wouldn't just be safety in the natural, Lord, but they would be able to impart spiritually that you are God and that you are for them, Heavenly Father, and so we love you, we bless you, and again, we're thankful for these men and women who serve. And all God's children said, amen, amen. amen. Well, uh, if you don't know me, I'm the Easter egg guy. I'm the football guy. I'm the I Heart Treasure Valley guy. I'm the worship guy. You just, you just do whatever you do. Amen. Um, if I say anything really good today, I need for you to look around me and see Jesus. All right. If I say something you don't agree with today, I need for you to look around me and see Jesus. If I say something that doesn't seem like it's going to make sense to you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, 21 says, test everything, hold on to the good, 
Amen? So you test it. The Bible is your plumb line. The Bible is what's going to help you vet whatever words are coming out of my mouth. Amen? This morning. So I want to encourage you in that. So we're on our future series. Pastor Chris started it last week. And uh, just a couple of slides, a couple of notes, because uh, I, I want to connect the dots. And so last week when we talked about uh, the future series, it's talking about um, living a full life and not a fearful life. Amen? Based on what God has already done. But some of the notes, it says, because we've been given the gift of fullness by what Jesus did on the cross and what he promises for our lives, the hope, our hope, is to encourage you to every day make a commitment to choose fullness over fearfulness. Come on, somebody say every day. Every day, that's what we've come to do. It's about learning how we manage our life from a future perspective and not the present because fullness is the defining feature of the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody, fullness, living a full life is the defining feature of the kingdom of God. Scripture Pastor Chris shared with you was out of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. I'm not going to read the whole thing, and, and hopefully you've read it and gone over it, but I do want to look at a couple parts of it from the Message Bible. It says, every time we think of you, we thank God for you, day and night. You're in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in following our Master. Jesus Christ, before God our Father. It is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand on you for something special. Man, I love that. God has put his hand on you for something special. When the message we preach came to you, it wasn't just words. Other translations say the word came in power. It says something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. Man, I love that translation. I love that. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. And then on to verse 10, it says, they marvel at how expectantly you await the arrival of his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. Their expectation of what God was going to do caused them to live a life that echoed the word of God. Their expectation of what God was going to do caused them to live a life expecting God to do amazing things. Now, I believe that in order for us to manage our life from a future perspective and not the present, we have to go back to the past. It's kind of like back to the future. Romans 15, 4, uh, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us and to in in encourage us. So knowledge of the Scriptures affects our attitude towards the present and the future. The more we know about what God has done in the past, the greater confidence we should have about what God is going to do in the future. Does that make sense? The more we know about what God has done in the past should give us hope and encouragement about what God is going to do in the future because the Bible says that God ain't changed his mind. Amen. There's nowhere you can go in the Bible and see where God changed his mind about what he wanted to do in and through his people. So are you encouraged for your future because what you've seen God do in the past? I shared this with first service, and I probably share a different example with the men, but I, I put it like this. If I was a crackhead, I'm not, just so you know. <laughs> if I never saw anybody get delivered from crack, I'd be discouraged. But if I see just one person, just one, and they tell me that God did it for them, I'm like, God will do it for me. 
based on what he did in the past, what he did in somebody else's life. If God did it for them, he'll do it for me because God is no respecter of persons. If I was an alcoholic, and I'm not, and maybe you hear you struggle with alcoholism, but if you see just one person get free from alcohol, and they tell you that God brought them through, you should be encouraged. Come on, if you're here this morning and you suffer from depression, depression is real. But if you see just one person get free from the spirit of depression, because God did it, I got hope. I'm encouraged. So I can go back to the past and see what God has done and be encouraged about what God is going to do. Another verse I share with the youngsters quite a bit, and I'll share it with you, Jeremiah 29, 11, And most of you know the scripture. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God's got plans for you, and they're good plans. God did not plan for you to live in fear. God did not plan for you to live in depression. God did not plan for you to live in anxiety. He says, I've got plans to prosper you, not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. Verse 13 tells you how to tap into that, but, but this is what you have to understand. God's plans are really kind of like his preferences, and they won't become your reality without your participation. God's plans for you are like his preferences, and they won't become your reality without your participation. Let me give you the scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God's plan is that nobody should perish, right? Are we in agreement there? But both you and I know somebody who has perished or somebody who is perishing. That was not God's intention for them. That's not God's intention for us. So without our participation in what God wants to do, we won't have those promises fully manifest in our lives. So understand this. Victory is a prophetic intention. Victory is God's intended outcome for his people. Victory is God's intended outcome for his people. Let me say it again. Victory is God's intended outcome for his people. You're wondering what God has for you? I don't know. Your victory might look a little bit different than my victory, but it's all victory. Victory is God's intended outcome for his people. And that's how we want to pray. So join me. Father God, we thank you again that you're an awesome God. You woke us up this morning. You allowed us to see another one of your glorious creations, Lord. You clothed us in our right minds that we didn't wake up this morning consumed and overwhelmed and worried, Heavenly Father, that you weren't in control because according to what we believe and to what you said, Lord, we believe you to be in control. So this morning, I pray that you would help me get out of the way so that you can do what you want to do, say what you want to say, move however you desire to move, Father God. And I pray this morning, Lord, that when you come and show yourself strong, that my would be shifted, that hope would be restored, Lord, that strongholds would be broken and limitations removed, God. I pray that possibilities would be increased, Heavenly Father, and more than anything, I pray that you would be glorified in this place by the things that are said and the things that are done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Victory is God's intended outcome for his people. And because victorious kingdom living is God's intended destination for us, that means we all have the potential to live a victorious kingdom life. All of us, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter how old, how young you are, all of us have the potential to live a victorious Christian life. And this is what you have to understand about potential. Potential, the potential that God has given us is for the purpose for which God assigned us. Go back to the scripture, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So because he had plans for you, he gave you, deposited within you the potential for those plans to be manifest in your life. Does that make sense? 
So the potential God has given us is for the purpose for which God has assigned us, and purpose is always an answer to a problem. Come on, purpose is always the answer to a problem. So when you don't reach your potential, you're not fulfilling your purpose, and when you don't fulfill your purpose, you're leaving the earth with some problems that God wanted to solve in and through you. When you don't reach your potential and fulfill your purpose, you're leaving the earth with some problems that God sent for you to, meant for you to solve. So Jesus came, the Bible says, to seek and save that which was lost. Some translations say he came to seek and save the lost. I don't like that translation because he came to seek and save that which was lost. So, so we're going around, oh, oh, old school people, uh, one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Stop singing that song. That song has a mentality that says, we're just going to settle because, you know, it's not going to be good here. But one day, I'm going to die and I'm going to go to be with Jesus. If Jesus' sole purpose for dying on the cross was heaven, you would be dead now. Because you received him as your Lord and Savior, there is no need for you. But when it says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, Adam and Eve never experienced heaven. Am I, am I pretty safe? I wish I had Pastor Chris or, 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 Pastor, or Dr. Stan here. But, but Adam and Eve, Adam was formed from the dust of the ground. Is that not what the Bible says? Okay. So he was on earth. He was never in heaven. Eve came from Adam. So none of them ever experienced heaven. So what Adam and Eve didn't lose heaven. They lost kingdom dominion on the earth. They lost the ability to have victorious kingdom living on the earth. So what did Jesus come back to restore? He didn't come back to restore heaven because they'd never been in heaven. He came back to restore victorious kingdom living. Does that make sense? When you don't reach your potential, you're not fulfilling your purpose. And when you don't fulfill your purpose, you're leaving the earth with some problems God wanted you to solve. Singing, one glad morning, I'll fly away. Living with that type of mentality is called settling. And settling spiritually is you placing a period where God has placed a comma. Come on, settling spiritually is you placing a period where God has placed a comma. If you have a mentality that likes to settle, what it is is you're trying to dictate your own destiny. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper. You're like, well, I'm never really going to experience that. So the mist is good enough. The rain is not coming, and I guess it'll never come, so I'm going to just live in the mist. You cannot have a mentality of settling and live a victorious Christian life. Settling is allowing your good enough to supersede God's good enough. Come on, settling is you allowing your good enough to supersede God's good enough. I love that we're praying for Pastor Mark Francie and, Ocean, and Rochelle and Ocean's Church because if you remember him when he was sharing, he's like, you know, ministry was good. GCD was thriving. People were getting saved. People were getting baptized. I'm traveling all over the world and I'm sharing the gospel and God has opened this up. So he said, I could have stayed here and ministry would have been good. But God said, go. It took courage to go. I'm not trying to move from the house I live in to the other side of town, let alone transport everybody down to another state. Come on. Settling is you superseding God's good enough. Settling robs the world of God's best for us. Now, we hope, I hope, I, I hope that Pastor Chris and Pastor Kelly's, I hope their wisdom, I hope their love for you, I hope their impartation, I hope their ministry and what God has deposited in them, I hope it blesses you. But if you just let that stay in this room, if it stops with you, 
What you're doing is you're robbing the world of what God wants to do in and through you. The ministry that you receive in the house is not just for you. Amen? The Bible says you're called to be salt and to be light. Come on, somebody. Don't rob others from being impacted by our time together. Don't, don't settle. So now if you read the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament, again, we're going back to the future, and you look at the men and women who were successful in reaching their potential, you have to ask yourself, what, what set them apart? What was it about their life, and what was it about those who reached their potential, their redemptive potential, I like to call it? Redemptive potential means you can do things that you couldn't do before. Come on, your redemptive potential means that you can accomplish things that you couldn't accomplish before. Come on, your redemptive potential means that you can go places that you couldn't go before. Come on, that's why Philippians 4 13, that's how that applies. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If you're trying to do something that God has not called you to do, then you shouldn't be encouraged by that scripture because that's not the purpose of it. Redemptive potential. The Bible says you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. So you've been redeemed. You've been freed. You've been liberated. You've been released from the curse of sin. So you now have the potential to live the life that God has called you to live and to fulfill all the plans that God has prepared for you. But it requires your participation. And the one characteristic I believe that you'll consistently see throughout the Bible in those who fulfilled their potential was courage. Somebody say courage. I'm going to take you back, Joshua 1, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and you can read along with me. I'm going to go kind of fast, so make sure you read it, but hopefully you know the story. So after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. That, that's enough all by itself. He says, I'm going to give you every place that you set your foot. So wherever you don't go, you can't have. Okay, I ain't going to mess with that. <laughs> your territory will extend from the desert to the Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, and no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love this part. So he says, so be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Purpose is always the answer to a problem. Be strong and very courageous, he says. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you and do not turn to it from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. And keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? This is God. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I love this. God didn't tell Joshua to be anointed because he was already anointed. God didn't tell Joshua to be spiritual because he was already spiritual. If you read the narrative and, and look at the life of, of Joshua, you see him always hanging out where Moses was hanging out in the presence of God. God didn't tell Joshua to be gifted. He was already gifted. We saw him fight and take care of all of them Amalekites down in the valley. God said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And this is what I love. Everything that Joshua needed to be successful in the task that God assigned to him was already laying dormant inside of him. 
Come on. Everything that Joshua needed to be successful in the task that God assigned to him was already laying dormant inside of him. For I know the plans I have for you. Look, in Jeremiah 1.5, God is introducing Jeremiah to himself. Jeremiah is like, I I, I can't go be a prophet. I I don't know how to speak and da-da-da. He's doing all this stuff. And God's like, hold up, hold up, son. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Everything Jeremiah needed to be successful in the task which God had called him for, it was laying dormant inside him. Everything that Joshua needed to be successful in the task that God had assigned for him, it was laying dormant in him. Everything that you and I need to be successful in the task for which God has assigned us to is laying dormant inside of us. God is not asking you to do anything that he hasn't given you the ability to do. Everything that we need is laying dormant inside of us. Romans eleven twenty nine. Oh no, uh, going back, Second Peter one three. It says His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. I love it out of the Message translation. It says everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the One who invited us to God, which is the best ev- uh, invitation we ever received. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, for the gifts and, uh, and calling of God are irrevocable. So in my spirit, what that means is what God has for me is for me. And there's no devil in hell. There's no situation. There's no circumstance that can come against, that can rob me of those gifts. Come on, the devil can't ungift you something God gave you. We're walking around letting the devil steal our peace and the devil didn't give it to us. We're walking around letting the devil steal our joy and the devil didn't give us our joy. The things that God has for you are for you, and nobody can take them away. You can't be ungifted. Isaiah 61, I love what's going on there. It says there's a divine exchange. He says, I give beauty for ashes. I give joy for your sorrow, for your mourning. I got a garment of praise for your spirit of depression. There's an exchange that God wants to take place in your life. He's already given it to you, but you will not receive it. You will not experience it without your participation. I love this, John 14, 27. This is what Jesus says. He says, I'm giving you peace. And I'm not just giving you a peace. I'm giving you my peace. Jesus said, the peace that I have, that's the peace that I'm giving to you. I don't give you peace as the world gives you peace. I'm giving you the peace of God. Don't let the devil rob you of something God gave you my peace. So what the enemy does, the enemy tries to make you timid. He tries to make you passive. He tries to make you apprehensive so you don't make full use out of the things that God has deposited on the inside of you. That's why God had to tell Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Look, he didn't even say feel strong. He said, be strong. Because sometimes you got to feel strong until you're strong. Come on, somebody. Sometimes your feelings have to catch up with, with your faith. Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So this is what that looks like. You're walking and your feelings is back there. You're like, you better catch up. (laughs) Peace, you better catch up. Joy, you better catch up. Hope, you better catch up. I'm not looking at the circumstance. I'm not looking at the situation. I'm looking at what God has said because my victory, come on somebody, my victory comes from what God has said. 
Be strong and courageous. Every person in the Bible, I believe, who was successful in fulfilling their potential, it was because they were strong and courageous. It wasn't because God loved them more than he loved me. The Bible says God's no respecter of men. It was because they grabbed a hold of what God said. They grabbed a hold of the promises of God and they believed them. Be strong and courageous. So the anointed ones, the cute ones, the talented ones, the good preaching ones, the good singing ones, it, it wasn't because of their singing. It wasn't because they was cute. It wasn't because they were old or young. It was simply because they were strong and courageous and they believed the word of God. Now, if, if you look at different situations, you'll be able to see that. People are walking around the walls of Jericho. Now, I'm giving you the VeggieTales version, right? But they're walking around seven times and they couldn't say nothing, okay? If they didn't say nothing, I guarantee you they was looking up at the wall. What in the world? It took courage to walk around that wall seven times and not say nothing. Joshua and Caleb, they were the spies that were sent out. They came back with a good report. It took courage. Their mentality was courage. Come on, the lion's den, it took courage. Daniel was anointed, but it took courage. Watch this. David, in the battle of David and Goliath, David was not the most skilled warrior in the battle. Uh, come on, I know he had some experience with the lion and with the bear, but Goliath was like a, he was like a professional fighter and big. He was not the most skilled fighter in the battle. Come on, David wasn't even the most efficiently equipped fighter in the battle. That's why Saul tried to put his armor on him. All David had was a slingshot and five smooth stones. But David did with a rock what people who had been trained in military combat couldn't do with weapons because he had one thing that they didn't have. He had courage. David ran to the battle with a rock while skilled warriors were running away and they had weapons. Watch this. Courage will make you run towards something with a rock that other people are running away from. Courage will make you run towards a situation where the doctor says, ah, it doesn't look good. But you have courage and you stand on the word of God. Come on, courage will call you to face down the enemy. It will call you to face down the problem. It will cause you to face down the situation because you know that God is on your side. And you're allowing the devil to steal your joy and to steal your peace and to make you anxious when you should just be, I'm no longer slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fear is drowned in perfect love. Y'all looking at me, you should be singing. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. It takes courage to sing that song in the midst of a situation. But it's not courage in your ability. It's not courage in your strength. It's not courage in your wisdom. It's courage in the word of God because victory is God's intended goal for his people. Courage will make you run. Come on, I love this. Kim Bowie was here first service, and, 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 and Matt was in the back. And this would happen. They, with the word of God, they, they, they stood up. The doctor gave Clay a bad report. And Kim said the Lord told her that this sickness wouldn't end in death. So she rolled up her sleeves. She put out her shoulders. She got her song on, and she starts singing. 
Didn't mean she didn't have tough days, but she stood on the word of God. Come on, Sherry, praying for Jeff and praying for Brandy. The doctor wants to give them a bad report. But see, this is what I know about Sherry and I know about the family. They stand on the word of God. The doctor gave them a bad report, but they're like, hey, you know what? God has said. And you don't know, and I might have said it before, but Sherry was telling me when, when Jeff went to the hospital the one time, her and Anna were going to the hospital, and they're singing, uh, this is how I fight my battles. Yeah, the doctor gave me a bad report, but it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It takes faith to sing that song in the midst of a bad report. So you guys stay faithful. We're praying for Jeff. We're praying for Brandy, and we're believing that God will do the impossible. Amen? All through scripture, you'll see courage as being the mitigating factor in causing the people of God to be successful in fulfilling the plan and the will of God for their lives. And I believe that, that, this, that, that courage, the greatest expression of courage was seen on Calvary. The cross was the ultimate expression of courage. Come on, somebody. It took courage for Jesus to go to the cross. Because I remember reading that he was praying in the garden, Lord, if there's any way this cup can be taken from me. Nevertheless, I trust you. It took courage for Jesus to stay on the cross. I remember him saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus had the power to come off the cross if he wanted to. It took courage. It took courage for him to trust God enough to say, okay, Lord, if you let me die, you'll raise me up. Are you willing to let this die so that God's will can be done in your life? It took courage. Courage is the ultimate expression of faith. Come on, courage is the fruit of faith. Now watch this. The definition for fear, anxiety, fear is believing that something that has yet to take place is going to occur. I'm afraid if I go to the doctor, I'm going to get a bad report. I'm afraid if I do this, I'm going to lose my money. I'm going to lose my home. Whatever it happens to be. Fear is believing that something that has yet to take place is going to take place. Is that a pretty safe assessment? Faith has the same definition. Faith is believing that something that has yet to take place is going to take place. Which side of the line are you going to live on? You can't live a life of fullness if you're living a life of fearfulness. My faithfulness is not in me. My faithfulness is in God and his word. Where there's no courage, there's no faith. You, you can tell me you're faithful. And let me not put it on you. I can tell myself I'm faithful. But if I'm not being courageous and standing on the word of God, the Bible says put on the full armor of God, and after you've done everything, stand. Be strong and courageous. And I think it was Christ's confidence in God's word that caused him to endure the cross. You might say, oh, it was his love for us, but I don't know. I think it was his confidence in God's word because Jesus prophesied his death and he prophesied his resurrection. He was fully confident that God would do what he said he would do. Come on, Jesus was fully persuaded that God would be faithful to his word and come through. Are you fully convinced that God will do what he said he'll do? Come on, and we're told to emulate the characteristics of Jesus, are we not? It says, love like Jesus, be humble like Jesus, be meek like Jesus. This is how the Christian is supposed to live. We're followers of Christ. What about be courageous like Jesus? 
What about us having the faith of Jesus? Faith in Jesus is good. But if you just put faith in Jesus, whatever you know about Jesus or don't know might cause you to waver a little bit. But how about having the faith of Jesus? Jesus didn't think that there was anything impossible because he knew the God that he served. And I love this. I've been talking about it here lately, you know, in our classes and things like that. I love information, but revelation is really the key. You, you need some revelation. I'm throwing stuff at you this morning. You need the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what that stuff is all about. And I was kind of thinking about this and going through the Bible. I, I'm looking at, at all the different Bible stories, right? And I want to encourage you, don't just look at the story, but look for the God of the story. So we go through the story of the prodigal son, and we're like, oh, yeah, well, I was a prodigal, and this is how I responded, and so forth and so on. But don't look at you. Look at God. Well, now I'm the dad, and I got prodigal kids. And don't look at the story and look at you. Look at God. I, I used to have, I, I had this conversation. I have a lot of conversation, but I had this conversation with God one time, and I was like, you know, I was reading about the children of Israel and what kept them out of the promised land. You know, they were stiff-necked and they were grumbling and complaining and all of that stuff. And I was like, God, if, if I was back there and I saw the Red Sea open up, I was like, I'd have been with you to the end. I'd have never left you. I'd have never forsaken you. And the Lord's like, no, you wouldn't, Mark. I was like, no, no, really? I kid you not. This is a serious, honest conversation. I was like, no, Lord, if I saw that, I mean, the Red Sea, come on. I walked through on dry land and the enemy coming behind me got squashed. Man, I would have been with you to the end. And this is what God told me. He's like, Mark, the Red Sea is just a story for you. What I've done in your life is greater than the Red Sea. And I'm processing. I'm like, oh, I ain't never had no Red Sea. He's like, that's a story. What I've done for you is for you. It's yours. It's tangible for you. You can recall it and you can use it as a testimony. Amen. So you're looking at the story. Come on, somebody. You're looking at the story and you're trying to put yourself in the story when you should be looking at the God of the story. Why is that important to look at the God of the story? Because the God you see is the God you get. The God you see is the God you get. The God you see is the God you get. Remember reading the story, it says Jesus was kind of in his neighborhood, and he says he was trying to do a bunch of miracles, but the people weren't faithful enough. They, they, you know, they didn't give him his props, so he said he couldn't do, he wouldn't do many miracles. There was only a few things, because what the people were tripping on, they're like, wait a minute, that's Mary's boy. That's Joseph's son. He's a carpenter. If all you see is a carpenter, then you can get your house fixed. You can get a table. Come on. But if you see God for who he is as a savior, you can get your life fixed. The God you see is the God you get. If you see a God who can do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask and all that you can think according to the power of God that works in you, you get to live a victorious kingdom life. If you don't see God like that, you're not going to experience God in all of his fullness, all of his glory, all of his power, all of his splendor. And we're talking about victorious kingdom living. We're talking about having a future perspective because of what God has done and what he promised that he would do. My question is, how big is the God you see? How amazing is the God you see? How marvelous is the God you see? How powerful is the God you see? Because the God you see is the God you get. 
look, I don't think that anxiety for us would be a problem if we saw God correctly. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. How can I be anxious for nothing, Lord? I got problems. I got issues. Well, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I don't think that there would be, that fear would be an issue if we saw God correctly. I would submit to you that courageous and faithful living would not be difficult if we saw God correctly. Pastor Chris said last week, and we keep reiterating it, choose fullness over fearfulness. Choose fullness over fearfulness. Don't reduce your lives to how you feel. And for that to happen, we've got to come to a right conclusion of who God is. We have to see him correctly. Watch this. The questions that we ask determine the conclusions we come to. The questions that we ask determine the conclusions that we come to. If you don't ask the right questions, you're not going to come to the right conclusion. The questions we ask determine the conclusions that we come to. So the Bible is full of instances, full of stories that if you don't ask the right questions, you're going to have difficulty believing God and being strong and courageous in your faith. So the Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. People who don't know Jesus are asking the wrong questions or they're coming to the wrong conclusion about who God is and they're not able to experience the goodness of God and the fullness of God. So watch this in the questions. Story of Jonah in the belly of the whale. Now, in my mind, I thought it was a whale. The Bible doesn't say it's a whale. It just says the belly of a fish. But in my imagination, well, it's got to be at least the size of a whale for Jonah to like to light a candle and live inside of there and praise and worship and do all of that stuff. But I'm asking the wrong question. Was it a fish? Was it a trout? Was it a whale? It's not about the whale. The question is, is there anything too difficult for God? You're looking at the whale. And no, it doesn't make sense. But if you change the question, is there anything too difficult for God, you'll come to a different conclusion. Last week, Pastor Chris was talking about the feeding of the 5,000 from a picnic basket, a little boy's picnic basket lunch, plus women and children. Now, if you've ever had like a barbecue or a buffet and you try to feed a whole bunch of people, particularly football players or student athletes, you're always worried about running out of food. Like, Lord, multiplication, multiplication. It doesn't make sense if you just look at the situation on its own merit. But when you ask the question, is there anything too difficult for God, you get a different answer. So watch this. In Genesis 18, God tells Abraham that Sarah's going to have a baby, and Sarah overhears the conversation, and, and she laughs. And then God gives Abraham the question to ask. Genesis 18, verse 12, it says, So she laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? And this is what God asked Abraham. Abraham, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? You're looking at the old age, but you asked the wrong question. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? So then he goes on and says, you know, about this time next year, at the appointed time, Sarah will have a son. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? So the question wasn't, can a woman this age have a baby? 
The question is, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? The question is not for you, can I survive this storm? Can I handle the diagnosis? Can I make myself back? Can I come back through this, through this setback? It's not the question. Not the one you should be asking. You should be asking, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? The God who made all this that you see, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? The questions we ask determine the conclusion we come to. So let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God is able to specifically address the situation that you're facing? You've come into this place this morning. You've come to be encouraged. You've come to celebrate. You've come to get a word in hopes that it would change your life, and it will if you receive it. But do you believe that God is able to specifically address the situation that you're facing? If you don't believe God is able, you have a wrong perspective of who God is. Is there anything too difficult for God? Let me ask you this. Do you believe in God more than you believe in the problem? I got faith to believe. Okay, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. That's what faith is. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. In spite of what I see, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. You got a problem and God's got an answer. And you're putting more stock into that problem. You're putting more stock into that situation. You're putting more stock into that issue than you're putting into the God who created everything. Come on, do you really think that your sin is too much for God to handle? Do you really think that your problem is too big for God? The doctor keeps giving Jeff bad reports and Sherry's like, we're going to stand on the word of God. And then God does a miracle. I'm laughing at the doctors. If you're a doctor, I'm sorry. I love you. I ain't mad at you, but I'm not going to believe your report. I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. His report said, I'm healed. That's what it said. Come on. Is that not what the Bible said? Is there anything too difficult for God? According to the Bible that I read, it says that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So when I'm living my life from a future perspective, I believe that God had it handled then, God's got it handled now, and God's got it handled in the future. Fullness over fearfulness. The Bible in Hebrew says that he's the author and the finisher of my faith. But your response to what God has said is going to be the determining factor in you experiencing victory or defeat. Your response and what God has said. The, the issue is what the issue is. I got to preach to the, to the um, team at Easter Chapel. I love it. Coach Harson's like, it's Easter. We have a chapel. So there were no sports metaphor. I mean, this was straight up gospel message. The resurrection happened. You need to decide what you're going to do with it. It's been scientifically proven that it happened. Ain't nobody can go back and say, no, Jesus didn't live. Jesus didn't die and buried. And then I will know what happened to him. It has been scientifically and historically proven. What are you going to do with it? Your victory comes when you decide to do with the resurrection what God has called you to do with the resurrection and believe it. Your victory comes when you believe to stand on the word of God like God has called you to stand on the word so you can experience what God has for you. Your victory or your defeat is predicated on how you choose to respond to the word of God. Does that make sense? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, chapter 30, verse 19, this is what God says. This day, I've set before you life and death, 
blessings and curses. Please choose life. Choose life. Choose life so that you can live. Not just you, you and your children. This day I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. Joshua, at the end of his book, he's like, look, I've done what I was supposed to do. I'm tired of trying to deal with you knuckleheads. He didn't say that. That's the Thornton version. Sorry. But he says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, that's cool. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You can either serve the gods of the world or you can serve our God. Choose for yourself. The way you respond to what God has said is going to determine your victory or your defeat. Because victorious kingdom living is God's intended goal for you. Now watch this. Jesus never promised to make your life drama free. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life over to Christ, we're going to give you an opportunity. I'm telling you now, Jesus never promised you ain't never going to have no problems. But he did promise that he would take care of you. In John 16, he even prophesied. He says, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. You're going to have some issues. You're going to have some problems. But like, don't trip. Be of good cheer. I got the whole world in my hands. The problem that you face is not bigger than the God that you serve. But if you don't have that perspective, you're allowing the problem to overwhelm you. This morning as I prayed, I'm hoping that you're liberated from chains that are holding you back. That you're liberated, freed from the curse of sin, from fear, from depression, for whatever it is that would hold you back. He promised he'd never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he told Joshua. He says, be strong, be courageous, be very strong, be courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous, because I'll be with you. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. For those of you who are here, just as he was with Pastor Wendell, he'll be with you. Just as he was with Pastor Ken, he'll be with you. Just as he's with Pastor Chris and Kelly, he'll be with you. But do you believe? Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what does he say? He says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Peace, you better catch up. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. So this morning, as we end, again, my question is, how big is the God you see? Can he handle it? Is there anything too difficult for God. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.